I think we should absolutely ban political advertising on social media platforms. We don't want to ban free speech, but you've got to own that speech. Welcome to Hardly Working, a podcast about how we can improve work, life, and everything in between. These are recordings from live conversations on Fishbowl, a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can join us live next time on the Fishbowl app. We have events every day. Okay, let's get started. This is Steve Levine. I'm the editor of the Electric newsletter about batteries and electric cars. And I'm here with Ben Pring, who's co-author of Monster, which is a new, a new book that looks at the FANG companies and big tech efforts to regulate big tech. What should we do about the big tech companies? So I'm just going to start. I do want to say if anyone wants to join in, then I invite you to. And what you do at the bottom of the screen, you just push join as speaker and you can come on up and have a conversation with us. You also can in the upper right-hand corner, you can just drop a question and we'll, and we'll read those. So Ben, let me start this way. We're looking at a situation, a brand new situation in Washington. We've got Lena Khan, a new head of the FTC, who's an antitrust firebrand. We have Jonathan Cantor, just appointed by Joe Biden to run the antitrust division at the DOJ. Uh, so it, in Washington, a completely different tone in terms of, of, of how big tech is seen. But at the same time, we have a very similar situation in the EU. We also do in the UK. And in China, uh, Xi Jinping is cracking down on big tech in China too. There's a new sheriff in town, but there's a new <laughs> sheriff everywhere. What's going on? Yeah, that's, that's well put, Steve, yeah. Um... No, I mean, clearly the, the weather has changed, hasn't it? Clearly the zeitgeist has changed. And um, I think the question now is not so much, you know, should there be regulation? Uh, but the question is, what type of regulation? Uh, I think we're beyond a debate now about whether there should be any regulation. I think unless you're a kind of uh, uh, Peter Thiel, <laughs> uh, kind of Randian uh, end of the spectrum where you'd, you'd like... Uh, cyber space to be sort of completely hands off as it was you know a few years ago um in in its infancy i think the question is now what do we do about this and and i, I think that's overdue to be honest steve i mean the, there may be people on the session tonight who who disagree with that who's who think that you know we should continue to take this sort of hands-off uh, approach this light hand and the tiller approach which has you know been the predominant model in the first 25 years of the internet uh, and it'll be interesting if people want to sort of argue that perspective. Um, but as I say, I think it's long overdue. Um, I think that the, the initial hands-off approach was logical. It made sense. This was a little kind of fledgling seed and we needed to encourage it to grow. But, you know, 25, 30 years later, it's no longer a fledgling seed tech. It's, it's the biggest <laughs> sequoia in the forest. And as you say, the Fang vendors are you know the most successful companies in, in you know in the marketplace today. Probably some of the most successful companies of all time, and the the wealth that they've tapped into, the power they now have. I mean, it's extraordinary in a relatively short period of time. 
so yes, yeah, so I think the, the the regulation's overdue, uh, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens, how how fast um, uh, those characters, those those you know principal um, individuals you mentioned can 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 get action to happen. I think it's probably going to be slower than a lot of people would like. I mean, I'm always reminded of the fact it took the Congress 20 years to regulate the cookie. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it took them a long time to figure out what cookies were and, and, and how to kind of regulate that. And in a way, the action was almost over by the time they uh, that legislation hit the, the statute book. Um, I, I, one sort of introductory scene-setting comment I'll make Steve, and, and again, this kind of tee up the conversation, I think, and, and also tee up encouraging other people to kind of jump in and share their thoughts as we go, is that I'm not sure that the, um, the approach that, that Tim Wu and Lisa Khan, the, the monopoly focus is actually the right focus at all in the first place. Um, I, I've never been particularly persuaded by the sort of break them up argument, the uh, the antitrust argument, uh, and, and building on the sort of parallels from from the last wave, you know, big wave of antitrust almost a hundred years ago. I'm not sure that's the right approach. In, in our book, in our book, Monster, Tame, Taming the Machines that Rule, um, you know, the, our lives, our future, if you like. We have a series of recommendations, and none of them really touch on breaking them up. They're all more to do with uh, algorithm audit. They're more to do with data portability. They're more to do with political banning political adver uh, advertising. They're more to do with repealing Section 230. I think going after the monopoly line of attack, uh, I think that might be a sledgehammer when, in fact, what we need more is a, a series of scalpels before we get to that kind of uh, a sledgehammer of breaking these people up. I, I think that's going to be a tough battle. So anyway, I'll pause there because I'm sure we're going to get into this in more detail. But um, as you say, certainly a lot of new sheriffs, sheriffs showing up and, uh, um, you know, Dodge is going to be quite different in the next few years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so... Uh, again, again, we. Uh, this is uh, uh, Steve Levine from the Electric, and we have Ben Pring, the the co-author of Monster here. Uh, and I'm gonna invite. I, I noticed Sam. Sam was up here just a second ago, and I, I'm gonna invite him back in a in in uh, just a minute. But but Ben, um, the the it it depends, isn't it? Doesn't it depend how you define what the problem is? Whether whether it's it's that big tech has gummed up the e, the economy and that the economy cannot be uh, can, can, cannot be brought to operate uh, correctly, meaning a free a free market, a true free market, uh, unless unless some of uh, 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 unless these companies are shrunk in some way, uh, whether that's breaking up uh, breaking them up, probably. Uh, or are we talking about is surveillance capitalism is that the problem? And if so, it's it, you know it is a data uh, a data answer. Um, and uh, it, uh, so, so I'm just wondering. It's it sounds like um, in in China when when Xi Jinping looks at at his companies, he his approach is do no harm, right? Don't 
don't crush small business. Don't, you know, don't sweep through other industries. Uh, you know, grow, grow large, but don't harm the economy. If you look at it through Chinese eyes here, then is the approach that you're describing, it, it sounds to me like it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, very, uh, very small bore. Well, I think that's an interesting comment, Steve. I mean, I, I think the first thing I would say not to refute that argument or push back on that argument, but it, it's simply to say that the notion that we're going to have global regulation of tech, I just think is completely unlikely. That's not right. going to happen. That's of not going to happen in my life. Yeah. There's not, there's not going to be a Paris accord for the internet. You know? um, and, and, and in fact, if, if you think about how uh, uh, climate change is being regulated or trying to be re regulated on a global uh, basis, you can see the limitations of that approach. So, so our book, uh, Monster, and really our thoughts that we share in that book are, are US-centric. Um, I mean, we've we've talked about, and um, I'm, I'm sure people increasingly be familiar with this phrase, the splinternet. You know, this notion that the original internet is really splintering into uh, multiple different internets. So there's the kind of European internet, the GDPR-based internet. Then there's the, as you say, the Chinese internet. And so this notion of the original American internet. Um, which has sort of, you know, ruled the world and American rules for, for, for that game. I think that, again, that era is over. That's breaking up. Our thoughts in the book, and, you know, I, I imagine the majority of people, uh, you know, listening now are in the U.S., and so our thoughts are more U.S.-centric. So the notion of surveillance capitalism in the Western world, surveillance communism in the, in the Chinese world, um, there are similarities but there are going to be very, very different approaches to that. And I, I, I would be very hesitant to talk about regulation in the Chinese context because clearly the, the, the situation there is so different. Within the, within the US, again, the notion of breaking the big fang vendors up, uh, I, I think is, is, is just initially too crude an idea. It's too, it's too coarse grain an idea to really get any traction, I think. Um, and, and, and the second you start thinking, and it's a great question, and the way you frame the question is, you know, what is the problem? Um, and I think the second you start thinking about the problem in terms of antitrust and, and breaking up a company like Amazon, um, it just becomes extremely complicated as to define what is the market they're operating in, uh, are they in retail? Are they in um, s certain sectors of retail? What, what exactly is Amazon as a company? Um, that's very, very hard to define. And then once you get further down the tree of definitions and, uh, and, com and complexity, uh, some people are pushing back on the fact that Amazon, uh, as many software companies have historically done, uh, see a product or a service um, getting traction on their platform, and then they basically just you know copy that product or service. So you you know you can buy a shoe on Amazon that kind of looks like Allbirds, but is an Amazon version of Allbirds because they can see through their platform the traction that Allbirds is getting. Now, once you start saying, well, they shouldn't be able to do that, 
then you get into the complexity of saying, well, uh, grocery chains, supermarket chains shouldn't be able to sell white label, own brand, private brands, versions of um, Kellogg's cornflakes. Uh, and that is a level of complexity which I think is going to be very, very hard to prosecute for uh, for Tim Wu and for Lisa Khan. Now, you know, good luck to them. Maybe they maybe they will be able to make that argument convincingly. Again, I think that's a difficult argument to make. I think there are easier arguments to make, easier first steps. Again, recognizing, as you said in your introductory comments, that you know this is this is new. This this change in the weather is new. So to go after very, very high-hanging fruit strikes me as not the right way. Let's go for the, the lower-hanging fruit, um, and let's focus on things which I think there's more consensus around. I mean, Section 230 is one example. I mean, I think there's a pretty broad consensus around Section 230 now that these platforms are indeed publishers and should be held to the same standards that other mass-market, mass-media publishers are held. Um, that to me strikes as an easier path to getting that legislation through. Um, another thing which I think there's growing traction around, growing support around, is the whole notion of age limits for social media. Um, you may people may have seen the last um, couple of days that the there's going to be the upcoming TED conference in Monterey the week after next. There's going to be the youngest ever TED speaker, a seven-year-old girl, who's going to be talking about something that we write about in the book, and hence why it caught my eye, and my eyes sort of, you know, popped out of my uh, my head when I saw this. She's going to be talking about the fact that, as a child, she doesn't want to be brought up by parents that are more interested in their cell phone than they are in her. Oh, right, right. And that's something we wrote about in the book, and 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 you know we've been saying for a while that, that this is a huge problem—a generation of kids being brought up, uh, competing for attention from their parents with their parents' cell phones. So again, I think having an age limit on kid uh, on social media, trying to teach kids how to operate on social media, I think regulation around that. You know, similar to regulations around uh, age for for driving a car or voting or uh, joining the army or getting married, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Again, I think that would be a easier path to getting some meaningful legislation, some meaningful rules of the new road um, than again uh, going after these incredibly powerful, incredibly well-resourced companies who've got the most lobbyists in Washington. Uh, people who own, you know, major <laughs> newspapers in Washington. I think that's just going to be hard to, to, to frankly, um, you know, uh, achieve. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I do want to um, remind everyone if you, um, if you want to join the conversation, bottom of the screen, press jo join a speaker. Come on up and uh, and um, let's let's talk together. Or or you can add a question in your upper right hand corner or a comment whatever um ben i wonder you're channeling the voice of reason <laughs> but but you know the, these are revolutionaries you know lena khan you know, uh, you know about her outspoken yale law review article 2017 about 
Amazon and her outspokenness about Facebook and Google and Tim Wu, the same thing, and Jonathan Cantor and Biden himself. And they are, you know, full-throated. They believe that the problem is largeness. Yes. And, and I just wonder if, you know, the voice of reason is going to be drowned out, that, you know, that, that there will be prosecutions. Now, now, whether the cases get beaten in court or dragged out for 11 years, like, uh, you know, the standard oil cases did yeah. back in the early part of the last century, that, that can happen. And they can get killed, even if there's a, you know, a decision, they can get killed in the Supreme Court. But it just looks to me like, uh, like the the train has left the station. These the, the these um, these voices they they are united, and they they want to see something happen. And it's uh, and they're mu you know much stronger solutions, let's say, than 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 the ones you've described. Well, now, I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, no. So I mean, I, I think there's again. I don't want to pour cold water on on their thinking and what their ambition is. And I again, I completely applaud that. And certainly, Lisa Khan has time on her hands, doesn't she? She's got you know forty years of a career ahead of her. Um, so you know, maybe she'll be pursuing this for forty years. Uh, and Tim Wu obviously is the kind of is the the ringmaster here. He's the sort of the, the main person advising Biden clearly, and and Lisa uh, Lena Khan is um, his protege. So um, I, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I think um, again, I do think that that's going to be tough, and you can see already the problems that the current administration is having with its infrastructure spending, its stimulus spending plans, uh, you know, a very, very divided country, a very, very divided Congress, um, uh, the clock, you know, already ticking down, running down on, on you know, <laughs> the next uh, election cycle. So, um, no, but, uh, but, but Ben, we're, we're, we're talking about two different things. You're talking about what happens in Congress, but what the DOJ does and what the FTC do don't require Congress. Well, true, true. Well, in fact, that's one of the one of the recommendations. In fact, the first recommendation we we suggested in in the book was that the charter of the FTC and the FCC really need to be readdressed. And again, I think that that is probably what Khan has got on her agenda. Is because if you read the charters of both the F FTC and the FCC. They don't talk about anything like this. They don't talk about the role of data. They don't talk about the role of algorithms. They don't talk about the um, the notion of of data portability, uh, of political advertising. We, we called in the book for the establishment of a what we called a federal tech administration. Again, if you put that into a historical context, the establishment of the FDA came after the Upton Sinclair agitation, if you like in the 1920s and 1930s and in, in the Chicago meat industry. And so the FDA was a, uh, an, a, a creation of that phase of concern about the, the supply chain of food and, and then pharmaceuticals. And, and so the emergence of something like a, a federal tech administration, a federal you know, FTA, again, we think that there's a need for that because... As I say, the, the, the charters of the FTC, the FCC, don't really address the issues to hand. Now, you're absolutely right. They could change that. And as I said, Khan may be, uh, that may be her agenda to change that. And you're right. It doesn't, uh, the, the 
the rules that she can uh, and can be issued from that bully pulpit don't necessarily go th- need to go through through Congress. You're quite right on that. But at the same time, unless there are statutes which have the legitimacy of Congress, I think it's going to be very hard. Again, in this in this world where these big tech vendors have uh, you know the most lobbying power, the most uh, um, uh, media power of any companies in the world. I mean, you can already see this in the way that Facebook are messaging against Khan, saying she's she, she should recuse herself from the whole process because she can't be neutral, because she's already expressed an opinion on that. I mean, it's talk about kind of <laughs> hardball. I mean, that's crazy because the game has, has, you know, hardly started and, and one team is already saying that, we need a different ref because the ref, you know, isn't isn't impartial enough to judge this game. I mean, again, to me, that is why this is going to be so difficult. Uh, and in the meantime, there were a series of smaller steps, which still would be extremely significant steps. I mean, the notion of algorithm audits, I mean, that is not small beer, small bore. I mean, the notion that the, the audit companies... Uh, in the way that they can go into every company, they're, they're mandated. They have a legal legislative requirement to to go in and look at the innards of how a company is being run to add in audit um, legislation, algorithm audit legislation. That would not be a small step. And that could be implemented, I think, more easily, than, again, than the notion of breaking up these huge companies. Right, right. Ben, I wonder, how do you think, let's pick one company, let's pick Facebook, you know, you, uh, you just mentioned Facebook. So it's, uh, you know, bungled a bunch of things. It bungled 2016. Uh, it, uh, uh, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, disputed that Facebook could play any role in cyber war in the, you know, the carrying out of the election influencing of people uh, has shown a remarkable naivete uh, (laughs) on Facebook's power, its influence, its role in society. It's as though he just doesn't or or didn't understand his own company and makes routine decisions that are about the bottom line, a tin ear as to what's coming around the corner in terms of pushback. How, how do you think Facebook has played the game? Give, I mean, given this, the adversity that you're, that we, we're describing here and abroad, how is it playing this, this moment? Uh, what would you say, and what would you say Facebook should do? Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, again, let's try and be, I heard your um, objection to me being reasonable and common sense <laughs> here on the stage. Uh, I think that's just by definition. I try to. Uh, what's the what's the favorite that the uh, the old phrase of sign of a first rate intelligence is being able to um, put both sides of the argument and not go mad in the process of doing it. That's what I'm trying to do. Not not that I'm a first rate intelligence um, by any means. But um, no, I mean, let's be fair to them, to him individually, and to the company. I mean, this is an extraordinary story, an extraordinary story in, in you know, less than basically 15 years, 12 years. You know, a company set up in a, a dorm room 
has gone from nowhere to being probably one of the most important companies, the most successful companies in the history of mankind. I mean, it's an absolutely extraordinary story. And and perhaps people who are younger or perhaps people who are closer to it, um, you know, that old phrase, sometimes it takes a constant effort to see what's right in front of your nose. I think that's an Orwell quote. Um, and, and I think it's, it's easy to kind of overlook just how extraordinary this has been and what an incredible rocket ride it's been. I mean, I, I'm sure many of you saw the, uh, the July 4th video the other day. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's kind of extraordinary. And, but again, I mean, how, how mature and sensible and grown up and reasonable were you, Steve, when you were 35? I'm not sure I was particularly sensible or grown up or mature at 35 and that's how old he is i mean so he's you know in the last what 12 years he's it's just been an extraordinary story and uh i think it will be it'll take some time in history for people to really um write the story of of what happened you know beyond the the aaron sorkin version or the version in the new book that's just come out this week um so, so let's be kind. Let's be um, empathetic towards him and his company, and 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 give them some rope. I mean, an extraordinary story. They they got lightning. They got the biggest lightning bolt in history into a bottle, and they just rode it. And they're continuing to ride it. And I can completely understand why all of these issues around the decline and fall of Western civilization. <laughs> that everybody wants to, uh, you know, put at their feet are just too big, too macro, too existential, too much noise for them to really grapple with in a completely material way. And, you know, with your tin uh, ear comment, there's just a certain defensiveness, a certain um, posture, crouch posture that they've adopted and they've hired, you know, an influential British politician to sort of, play whack-a-mole um, at, out in front of all of that uh, crit- criticism. Um, so so, so I, I get that. I understand that. And then the other thing I think, again, to be fair to them, is that they have, whether or not it's just a veneer and it's just um, you know, a front, they have in recent times been talking about the need for regulating Facebook and, and social media and, and and their products. And I think they're to a degree open to that. And, and, you know, they have to be to a degree open to that. Now, having said all of that, I don't think that we as citizens and we as voters should necessarily just sit back and allow them as a company and their executives and owners to sit back uh, and, and watch those guys craft the rules of the road, the game, the, the rules of the game that they're playing. Um, and the tens, I think there's still a bit of a kind of sentiment in DC, perhaps less so in Brussels now, probably still to a degree in Westminster to sort of, you know, give these guys, well, how should we regulate you? What what should we do? And I, I don't buy that argument. I, I think it's important that uh, we as citizens and our political leaders come forward with ideas as to how to regulate uh, a phenomena like that. And, and, and again, that is what really our book is about, offering ideas to do that, not, not to allow these guys to police themselves 
um, but for us to offer thoughts on how to do that. And, and just I'll throw out a couple, again, just as prompts for hopefully folks, if you're sitting back at home on the couch with a glass of wine listening to this, you'll feel inspired to sort of jump in and share your thoughts or observations or, or criticisms. Here's a couple, a couple of thoughts. One, I think we should absolutely ban political advertising on social media platforms. Some people immediately gasp at that and think, oh my God, that's what a horrific idea. But where I come from in, in England, I, I've lived in the States over 22 years now, but where I come from in England, there's no political advertising on TV. That's always been banned. In Canada, I don't know if anybody's listening in from Canada or Canadians, uh, political advertising uh, on TV in Canada is very, very heavily, heavily regulated. So I think we could easily deal with lots of the issues <laughs> of, of people going down algorithmic rabbit holes on platforms like this through preventing political advertising on, on, on any form of social media. I think we could also very quickly clean up Dodge by banning anonymity on social media. Again, advertising and anonymity are the original sins of the internet. And uh, whilst there are still very kind of vocal proponents of, uh, of anonymity, what happens to protesters, what happens to people making um, uh, you know, reasonable agitation if, if, we, if, we, if we ban anonymity. I, I think just on the balance of the evidence, it's, it's the moment now we need to introduce proper accreditation. You've got to, you, I don't, we don't want to ban free speech. Nobody, there's no, I, I don't think there's very many people who want to ban free speech in America. But you've got to own that speech. And that's the problem on these social media platforms is people don't have to own their speech. People can say crazy things. They can scream through the screen in the way that people sit in their automobile and scream abuse at other people behind the safety, the anonymity of their car windshield screen. People are doing that on social media because they are anonymous. And, um, you know, it's sort of funny and, and guys showing up in Viking hats is kind of funny. But we can see the corrosive effect that this is having. And in fact, I align myself with um, a British playwright. Some people may know um, a guy called Tom Stoppard, who wrote a very, very powerful essay about this a few years ago and framing this in the context of his work as a playwright and as, also as a, a Czech dissident uh, who found freedom in the UK, living in the free uh, in the UK, and was a was a um, very very vocal proponent for freedom of speech through the media in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And he wrote an essay four or five years ago saying how that freedom of speech had been abused, uh, terribly abused, and how he regretted that abuse had happened. But he felt that that. It couldn't be tolerated anymore, and it was uh, it was a sad, sad moment for him personally, realizing that his efforts had sort of gone astray. So I think anonymity can go, and then I think a final thought, Steve, and then I'll pause. Yeah, again. And then we'll, it, yeah, we'll let Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex um, to speak. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Um, just a final thought. Again, we we make a kind of little metaphor or a parallel. Uh, thinking about the physical world and then the virtual world. Uh, if, if BMW build a car 
in um, Wolfsburg, Germany, and they want to ship it into the U.S. Obviously, they build cars in the U.S. as well, down in Spartanburg, Carolina. But if they would, they still ship a lot of cars into the U.S. from Germany, from Mexico. They have to fill out a whole series of um, customs forms and declarations and regulations that they have to uh, uh, follow to to move a physical object into the United States for it to be sold into the marketplace. Think about, contrast that with the virtual world. Anybody from anywhere can put zeros and ones from anywhere into the US with absolutely no regulation or customs declaration at all. And this is clearly what's happening uh, um, from our geopolitical opponents in other parts of the world who are dripping water into the cracks of the American, uh, you know, house, metaphorically and and, and, phys- and, and, and uh, literally. And again, you can see the corrosive impact that this is having on society, on discourse in, in the US. Um, some of you will know Daniel Silver, the author of the Gabriel Alon a series of novels, Gabriel Alon being a fictional head of Mossad, brilliant books, um, sort of uh, uh, Roman eclefts, if you like. They're, they're slightly um, fictionalized, but they're very re- realistic. His latest book is exactly, it came out this week, The Cellist, is exactly about this. It's a brilliant read, and it's a brilliant insight into the game that the um uh, the russians are playing uh w- with some of their partners partners in crime outsourced franchised um 400 pound guys on the sofa <laughs> helping i mean this is what's happening and so we're calling for the no- for a notion of data sovereignty we i mean it sounds crazy but we could police zeros and ones in the way that we police bmw cars coming into America. We have the technology to do that. We just need to extend, in essence, the Twitter blue tick verification program. We need to scale that, uh, and we could scale that. Uh, but I think, again, we need to start thinking in terms of those types of steps, uh, anonymity, data sovereignty, political advertising. Again, they would be steps to deal with the issues that Facebook and other social media platforms are in the middle of without coming at them with a sledgehammer and saying, we've got to take um, Instagram away from you, WhatsApp away from you, uh, because you're too big to own those guys. I don't think splitting those companies up would necessarily achieve what we're suggesting we need to achieve in in our work. Okay, let's talk first to Alex and then Saurat. Hey, guys. I had a question for you, Ben. So you're talking about kind of de-anonymization here, and the concept of it does make a lot of sense. But I think it's a little bit, you know, almost ironic that it's coming up, and the with us speaking on Fishbowl, the kind of the major selling point of which is this anonymity. Right? A lot of people come to this app to discuss issues that they do not feel comfortable discussing elsewhere. And I think so far, at least in the balls that I frequent, the discussion has remained very civil. Uh, we've had a degree of moderation that the company has been able to provide, that the community has been contributing to and large through the flagging system, et cetera. And it seems to be working here. It seems to be working well. 
Uh, do you think that there are, I, don't know, I guess, exceptions or that there are special circumstances in which this de-anonymization uh, regulation should go into effect in places where maybe it shouldn't? Well, it's a great point, Alex. And I, I suppose I, I'd immediately turn the question around a little bit by saying, why can I see your picture and your name? Not quite sure what you mean. Why, why are you not anonymous in this, in this uh, forum right now, yourself personally? Uh, I do not have the answer for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think what I'm getting at is that you as a, as a person of goodwill want to participate. You're happy to put your name to what you say. You're happy for me to see a picture of you. You're happy to own your speech. Uh, and I think that's the way to do it. I think, um, I, I think that's exactly the right way to do it. And I think we, Steve, me, other people listening to this now, uh, take you seriously because you are owning your speech. In fact, as I look through the hundreds of people seemingly who are here now, unless, you know, Mike and Dan and Ryan are using, you know, <laughs> um, uh, Shutterstock photos of, uh, you know, human beings and that they're not their real names. Um, you know, most people here are happy to own their speech. Most people here are reasonable, responsible, you know, mature people who want to participate in lively, open conversation and are happy to own their speech. Now, I'm not sure, and I'm not familiar enough with Fishbowl to know whether that's mandated and enforced. Uh, I think you hinted perhaps it was, uh, but I think that's the way to do it. Clearly, within the Facebook environment or within you know, Twitter and other, other platforms, you know, the vast majority of people are of goodwill. The vast majority of people are, uh, you know, perfectly reasonable and perfectly appropriate. Um, but there are, unfortunately, a big enough minority to, to F the whole thing up, frankly. And that's what we're seeing at the moment. And so we may lose something in the, in the de-anonymization. In an ideal world, perhaps we wouldn't have to do this. But again, our argument is that on the balance of the evidence, on the bal balance of the, the reality of what we can see, we think this is a solution and, and the timing is now right. Uh, we perhaps have to lose something in that process, but ultimately we will all, as a society, uh, in a utilitarian context, benefit from that, we believe. Okay, uh, Alex, please, uh, please stay up here to, and mm -hmm. stay, stay in the conversation, but let, let's open up to Saurat. Before I do, I share with you my question, I have to say that I am not, or I do not disagree with regulating the big techs, but I would like to think that it's more uh, feasible to regulate the owners of the big techs. For example, this, this guy called Bezos, Jeff Bezos, and Elon, and Elon Musk, they both want to go to the moon or to Mars or whatever, but <laughs> I think the real problem is that these two guys want to go to Mars. So now, my question. Uh, in the days, um, some days ago, there was this reunion in the group of seven where they agreed to make a global tax. So what do you think about it? Is that something, a uh, first step in order to regulate the big, the big tech companies and the like? Well, yes, I mean, it's a great point. And, and I, I, I enjoyed the way you, uh, <laughs> you framed the, the, your comments about the, the, the new space race. 
Um, I won't particularly comment on that. Uh, we don't talk, to be honest, Soret, about uh, tax policy in our book, and we, we we're not. I, I don't have um, particularly developed uh, views of that. I, I I remember the the Rutger Bregman moment at Davos a few years ago when he. <laughs> Um, he he's a Dutch um, uh, professor. You you may know his name. Um, he famously said that uh, you know he felt he was at a uh, at a um, a fireman's conference uh, where nobody was allowed to talk about water, <laughs> uh, which has got a lot of media attention around the world. You know, and I think that was a again a bit of a kind of moment of. Um, uh, where debates about global tax um, sort of coalesced into a into a, a consensus view uh, that there needed to be some harmonisation of that. Again, I think you can relate this discussion back to where we started and, and some of the comments I made earlier on in terms of um, the splinter net and, and global regulation of tech. I think it's uh, it's already proving quite hard. Uh, the, the 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 globalization of tax policy is all right, already running into a lot of blowback. Uh, the Irish government uh, saying that they're being penalised. You know, Ireland has has prospered in the last uh, 30, 40 years through having a very different uh, tax policy to the UK and to other parts of uh, Europe, and that's why all the big tech companies basically have their European HQ in, in Dublin and parts of uh, Ireland nowadays. Um, so, again, I think that's going to be very difficult to get through. Uh, but I'm very sympathetic to your point that um, uh, that uh, the you know, zero uh, <laughs> amounts of tax in some cases that you know, the big tech companies uh, are paying uh, corporately or their, you know, their capital owners personally no, it's an issue, and 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 again, I think um, uh, you can see uh, a lot of that rage uh, that people are feeling all around the world. The gilets jaunes, uh, you know, uh, again, the 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 um, the Viking hat wearers in DC. The rage that people are feeling about a world seemingly growing more unequal. Uh, the Gini index kind of going off the charts uh, and tax being a major component of that and a, and a, and a fish perhaps, not the fish bowl, but <laughs> a fish kind of rotting from the head, if you like, the elites uh, rotting from the head. All that rage is being channeled through these machines in our hands, which have, you know, ironically become all the rage in the last few years. Um, so no, I think tax is a is a vital piece of this jigsaw, Sarat, and we don't talk about it specifically in our book, but um, it certainly is a, a hot button issue, a, a very important piece of the jigsaw puzzle. Ben, I'm wondering about the relationship between, between. Tim Cook and Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, so, so you've got the you do have the rabble out there who's very angry, but Tim Cook's kind of angry too. <laughs> what do you what do you think about that yeah yeah well i i think um clearly um wait uh, stop just one second and then yeah. just resume arun i i've got you here uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna call on you just after ben hang on okay yeah then go ahead no thanks Stephen. thanks arun um no uh, clearly um 
uh, Apple, Tim Cook are, are positioning themselves in a very different way. People have seen the adverts on TV, uh, the, the big campaign they're running. I think the uh, the NSO news in the last week wasn't great for Apple. Uh, if people saw that, the um, Israeli um, uh, um, uh, spyware uh, software that that is clearly a, a a knock in the argument for apple um but yeah that that's clearly uh kind of the parameter of the debate uh of the argument in a way it's shaping up is you can be in the wild west you can be out in the in the uh the facebook wild west or you can come into uh this walled garden the apple walled garden you know, if you think about it, you know, in that sort of uh, cowboy's uh, cowboy era kind of uh, context, you know, there's the the open prairie and the and the cowboys are roaming across the open prairies, and then the big ranch owners start showing up and putting barbed wire and and beginning to build out, uh, you know, owned land property. Um, that that's what it feels like to me. It's like you, you know, Tim Cook's basically saying come in from the Wild West, be in our walled garden, be in our city, our, our, our citadel behind the barbed wire. And uh, obviously a lot of people are going to buy that argument and like that argument and be comfortable with that argument. But as I say, the, the NSO uh, story as it broke in the week sort of undermined that a little bit. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how, how you know, people vote. Again, people are going to vote with their fingers, really, aren't they, where they go whether they want that uh, that sense of protection or whether they're, they're comfortable to, to remain out on the uh, out on the prairie. Okay, Arun. This uh, been a good discussion. Uh, uh, just want to you know, question and then I'll look at uh, asking your opinion. How, you know, in the, in the, in the process of these big techs, you know, uh, regulating them and, you know, the data is the main weapon these days, right? You know, and, uh, is it possible or is it, you know, is it, you know, how, what do you think of an idea of creating a regulator, regulating body or, a, you know, kind of a, you know, central governing body uh, who can, you know, channelize the usage of individuals, you know, information uh, for, you know, incre increasing the business of these big techs, right? So is it possible to put the data ownership on individuals and have these big tech companies pay and uh, pay back to the user anytime they every time they use the data uh, of any individual and then how can we make our own information and may monetize that information back to us and you know creating some kind of responsible usage of the data uh, which is which is you know probably is not something you know we all don't realize that but again we are giving away a lot of information which is oiling the 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 social market and also the you know the online uh, big techs uh, in a growth uh, in, in today's world right so what is your opinion on that yeah no thank you for that Aaron that's a great great question and a great point and, and I'm, <laughs> I, I I promise uh, to the listeners that uh, Aaron is not a stooge we didn't we <laughs> at least I don't think he is I don't think we prompted him to ask this question no in the book in in our book monster. Uh, that's exactly one of the ideas that uh, we proposed, the, the creation of what we called the U.S. Data Agency, uh, uh, to do exactly what you're suggesting, Arun. And again, I think that that is feasible. 
the creation of something like that, perhaps under the umbrella of the Federal Tech Administration that I talked about earlier on. And the model that we had in mind when we came up with that suggestion was uh, the, again, with my British background, I apologize, but (laughs) uh, the UK Atomic Energy Authority, which is the regulatory body for how nuclear energy is regulated in the UK. And I think there, there is a US equivalent, equivalent to that. I'm not, not as familiar with that as, as the UK version. And that is basically a, a body, as I say, that has the responsibility to regulate uh, nuclear power, uh, b- both for civilian and military use. And it's, it's staffed by... Um, a broad church of people. It's not just uh, scientists uh, in charge of r- regulating themselves. It's it's political people, policy people, um, uh, business people, um, lay people. Uh, you know the, the great and the good from British society, um, and and we can't help thinking that something like that to manage data. In the in 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 the commercial and the public sector context is a very good idea, and again, tech is becoming too important to be left to tech people alone. I mean, again, this is sort of goes back to the argument about Facebook, this incredibly you know successful company, but you know very callow young tech people. Uh, surely, in a in a society. Um, you know, a very large society, very sort of um, diverse society, diverse in all sorts of ways. We need broader representation to manage this thing rather than just the, the techies he came up with in the first place. So I completely um, concur with your sentiment, your thought, Arun. I think we need something like that, a US data agency that could begin to craft, again, rules of the road for data portability data ownership, data monetization, um, uh, again, organ- people who understand what's going on, people who don't have to be told, you know, Senator, we sell ads, <laughs> you know, people who understand what's happening and, again, don't have an animus against the tech companies. I mean, the first line of our book is we love technology. We're not coming to to bury technology. We're coming to praise technology in our, in our book. We want to keep technology in a good place. But you know, again, people of goodwill realize that we we do need some rules of the road. Uh, we do need some regulation. But we need people who are qualified to create that regulation in D.C. and in you know in state capitals. And so, something like a U.S. data agency, I think, would be a step in the right direction to, again, being able to figure out in a world which, as you say, is increasingly uh, predicated on data and use of data and control of data and monetization of data, personal uh, and corporate and metadata, uh, anonymized data, all forms of data, which we as techies kind of understand the power of, but many non-techies simply still don't, Something like a U.S. data agency would be a step forward to, um, again, being the policeman for that kind of uh, that 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 new wave and new chapter of competition. Okay, here we got Alex back. Uh, <laughs> let's hear you. Yep. Uh, just wondering, uh, do you have any specifics on the things that you're proposing outlined in, outlined in the book? Because uh, having worked in tech, right, all uh, all of the stuff around managing metadata and figuring out what can and can't be used and how. All of that gets very, very, very intricate from a legal perspective. 
Yes. No, it gets very complicated. I agree. And again, um, our book is is a sort of um, a manifesto. It's a creed de cour. It's a rallying cry. There's a d- d- degree of detail in Alex. Not not um, it's not a it's not it's certainly not um, surveillance capitalism. It's not it's not uh, if you've read that. It's uh, kind of the the antidote to that. I think that's like two hundred thousand words. Our book is thirty five thousand words. So there's a, there's some detail. Uh, there's a summary, if you like, of detail and, and hopefully uh, an invitation to, you know, engage with us and talk with us more about the, the, the weeds and the, and the real detail of that. Because as you're right, uh, it, the, 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 the devil will be in that detail. It's going to be very complicated. And, and, and again, I think we're going to need scalpels rather than sledgehammers. Okay. And then let's, let's close out with Xander. Um, hi, I was joining, I, I've been listening for about 45 minutes, um, and I, I hear a lot of the conversation around, like, uh, how do we regulate big tech and their use of people's data? Um, I, I think I want to ask Ben, does your book maybe cover how we can regulate big tech and how who they choose to filter out of the conversation, right? These independent fact checkers are often opinionated and um, like, for instance, the Wuhan lab leak theory. If you mentioned that at all in the last yeah. year, you would get kicked off. You would get blocked. But now that it's it, it's coming back into the conversation, it's like, oh, we mm-hmm. actually need to look at this. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe a, a, a lot of uh, conservatives are, are pretty upset that people are getting kicked off for things that are labeled as misinformation but are the facts are behind it is arguable mm. right yeah. yeah no it's a great point and um with, with one one minute on the clock it's um it's a, a really really thorny issue I, again i think the notion of something like a u.s data agency somewhat apolitical uh, although anything that is touching regulation to a degree is political, as we were talking about earlier on with Lisa Khan, um, uh, is going to be needed because you're absolutely right. The, these these platforms are becoming the public square, have become the public square, uh, and control of the public square is controlling the conversation. Clearly, um, as you say, the, the the Republican end of the spectrum is getting very agitated about that. Again, we're in our book, in my work, representing Cognizant. Uh, we're uh, you know, deliberately apolitical in this, so it's a very complicated issue. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's going to be absolutely crucial that we do grapple with that because um, you can see all sorts of uh, cul-de-sacs are going to go down if if again, free speech is, um, is, is really ha- hampered uh, rather than enabled here. Okay. Okay. Ben, ben, uh, ben do you want to, um, le- let's not close abruptly here. And so let's, <laughs> let's say, you know, uh, you know, give, um, give 30 seconds. We, we do have, you know, we do have a, a, a situation where the folks who are in charge, the regulators, again, Lena Khan, Tim Wu, Jonathan Cantor, they think that the last 30 years, the last uh, uh, almost 40 years um, have been a repudiation of how legislate, uh, legislation uh, and uh, legal tr- tradition was meant 
going back to Brandeis, and uh, it was hijacked by Robert Bork uh, and by Milton Friedman. They think they're doing a corrective, uh, but uh, you you um, uh, you think differently, and 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 so why don't you wrap up, uh, and then and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah. No, uh, well, just to say to everybody, thank you so much for, for spending the last hour. This is great to see so many people uh, on, and I think that's testament to the fact that this is a hot-button issue, and uh, it's great to have so many uh, folks on. I hope that was interesting. Thank you to you, Steve, for, for moderating this. Really appreciate the, the great questions, great questions from uh, from the floor as well, and, and please do reach out to me. I'm, I'm pretty visible online, and, and the book can be found at tamethemonster.com. Um, no, I, again, I think you're right, Steve. I think the the the, the wind is is blowing in a very different direction, and um, uh, you're right. The sort of Gordon Gordon Gecko era of the last forty years, uh, you know, has perhaps run its course, uh, and perhaps that's a good thing and and and, and overdue. Um, and I again, I I I, uh, I wish those people that you mentioned all the all the luck in the world. I think um, the the um, the the intentions they have are uh, extremely um, powerful. The intentions are good, and and I wish them luck with it. Um, I sent Tim Wu our book, and he acknowledged it and thanked me for it. Uh, I'm not sure whether our, any of our ideas will um, uh, you know percolate into his mind, um, but uh, it's going to be interesting. And I think this is a, a long road ahead of us, uh, all of us, politically, uh, individually, societally. As I said, you know, earlier on, it took twenty years to to regulate cookies. So it's uh, we may we may be talking about this for years to come, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. So so thank you, Ben Pring. Thanks for uh, for your wisdom, and thanks to Fishbowl. And uh, we um, wish everyone good evening. Thanks for spending this time with us. That's all, folks. Thanks again for listening to Hardly Working. Join us live next time and talk directly to the speakers and, who knows, end up here. Fishbowl is a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can download Fishbowl on the App Store or Google Play. If you want to host a Fishbowl live event, get in touch at live at fishbowlapp.com. See you soon!